from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 24. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an internet you'll actually like. MailRoute, a secure hosted email service for protection from viruses and spam. And PDF Pen Pro 7, take control of PDFs on your Mac. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by my host and yours, the one and only Mr. Jason <laughs> Snell. Uh, hi, Mike. How's it going? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. I was uh, as always. I enjoy starting off the week with our conversations. It's uh, very nice. Yes, it's. Uh, it, I, I feel like we should say this every week. Uh, it's a nice way to start. It's a nice way to kick off with a yeah. good bit of upgrade. You know, upgrade your week right at the start of your week. How much better could it be? Indeed, absolutely. Uh, should we talk about some uh, topics that we've covered recently, but would like to t- uh, cover again briefly with uh, feedback from? Listeners woven in? Most definitely. All right. It's not as catchy as pressing a button. No. Hearing can, the words follow up. We can, we can, I, right. I'm seriously integrating follow out into all of my shows now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. See, it all it all starts here. I, uh, we talked about uh, the Apple Car yet last week, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but the one bit of follow up that I wanted to get to is uh, we had uh, some people giving us feedback about... Uh, your comment and mine, my comment was about traveling and needing to copy my uh, uh, podcast files, the large, you know, many, many megabytes, many, many gigabytes, in some cases, uh, podcast files in order to edit when I was on the road. And you were talking about how you've got the Mac Pro and you've got the laptop and moving the files back and forth is is problematic for you too. And we definitely got some feedback. Um, I'm looking right now at some podcasts that are sitting on my... uh, just for reference, the uh, incomparable Star Wars Episode Three episode that folder is twelve gigabytes. Uh, Total Party Kill is thirteen gigabytes. So these are big, you know, projects that we're that we're talking about here. So we got some feedback. Um, listener Rob uh, said, "Looks like you guys need a remote desktop solution for working away from home." That's what I do. And uh, listener the Hexagon on Twitter said, what about just using an external drive for logic projects? Video pros do this all the time and it works very well. Um, I, I We got a few people who talked to us about remote desktop and I like remote desktop, but um, what I said to them on Twitter when they mentioned this is I am not... I, I, first off, does remote desktop, do you know, does it stream audio streams from the remote system? I thought it didn't do that. I, I have no idea. I I can't imagine if it does I, that it would I, do it very well. Well, that that's exactly it. And the point is, when you're doing audio editing, you need you need um you need audio. You need no latency. You need you no need, lag. You need precision as well. And, yes. and, and I really don't think I could get the precision that I needed. Um, and also as well, like when you're doing something. I mean, I'm not saying that anybody that suggested this doesn't do things like this, but for, at least for me, and I think it's the same for you, Jason, when you're doing something that is so like, it's really time consuming and you get you really kind of get into a rhythm with it, if something breaks your rhythm, it's yeah. so frustrating. And I can imagine yeah. just stuttering, that kind of thing in the, in the, like, the stream being, a, right. being an issue. And keeping in mind, um, what we're talking about here is an alternative to copying the files <laughs> and that's where it really breaks down is like it, look if copying if if to copy a file would waste a day of productivity for me i would consider using remote desktop <laughs> but the thing is copying a file i i have a, a thunderbolt 
uh, gigabit Ethernet adapter for my laptop. I plug that in and copy the file over the my my gigabit network, and it takes a few minutes. It's not a big deal to go back and forth. And to the hexagon's point, I could I could have an external hard drive and bring that along with me too. But at that point, I'm copying the file regardless, and uh, that might work better for you if you were constantly switching back and forth. You could use an external hard drive to do it. But the point, the larger point being, whatever you would lose um, in in latency and the sluggishness of remote desktop stuff, not to mention the idea of it trying to react to uh, audio that's streaming with latency. And it, it just, there is, I mean, there is literally, I think nothing I would, I would rather uh, avoid <laughs> than yeah. something like that. I would, I would rather use GarageBand. <laughs> I would rather edit on a single track in uh, a single track editor than uh, than use remote desktop. So I don't think it's, I don't, I just don't think it's an an issue, an option for uh, heavy duty media editing. Um, but what do you, what do you think about the idea of getting a drive and using that for your projects so that you could go back and forth between your Mac Pro and your uh, your MacBook Pro? When it comes to work stuff, um, so like the podcasts and the audio, I get very, uh, super, not superstitious, but like very nervous about it. I can't really explain it, but there's just this, this part of me that's like if you – that I feel like if I add too many uh, layers into the process, then I'm opening myself up to too many points of failure. Like, which is why I tried to stay on, like, when with the previous Mac Mini, I tried to stay on Snow Leopard for as long as possible. And then when I had to upgrade to Lion for Logic Pro 10, I did that. But I stayed on Lion um, until, like, I, until I got the Mac Pro. And I really kind of wished that the Mac Pro wasn't on Yosemite because ha- I'm having some issues with it that I think mm. are hardware-related, but they're really difficult to, to pin down. So adding anything into the system where I could make a mistake or I could right. lose something or something could go wrong because of how important this is. I, I like to try and avoid those where I know that I know that, you know, a rational person would say to me, well, you are, you are, you have a problem. You've identified a problem, which is being chained to one machine. Um, but you're not willing to take steps to fix it. And I know that, um, but I'm willing to accept that for the peace of mind that, everything's going to be right. okay. Right. This, is, this isn't just a problem to be solved. A lot of times, and this happens, I think, when we talk about technology things on the internet, whether it's on a podcast or on Twitter, is you get a lot of people who are problem solvers. That's what they do. They're technical people. They like to solve problems. And they say, here is a solution for you. And the challenge is in saying, you know what? That's not a good enough solution for me to change my behavior. It is a solution. You could do it that way. But... It's just not. It's just not enough. Plus, I mean, there, there's the financial aspects too. I mean, it, your Mac Pro has super fast SSD storage, which for something like this show is not that big a deal. For something like Inquisitive, where you've got multiple tracks and just huge amounts of stuff, it's a big deal. For me and my um, seven crazy seven-person incomparables or Total Party Kill, it's, you know, having that quick storage is important. So now if you wanted to be on an external drive, you're going to need to buy a fast external drive, a fast, like fast connectivity fast read write and then and then you you could move around with it i don't know i mean my my thought was if gigabit transferring your files over gigabit ethernet you could you could do that you could just connect the two devices together and transfer the files if you were really like going somewhere for a week and needed to work on your projects but 
you know, I, I, I see it. I, I think there's, I see how, what you're saying. There are solutions that will get you what you want, but they won't make you, they won't make your life better because there will, be, it will bring up all these other issues that concern you. So you're better off sort of dealing with the problems you've got rather than these other problems that you anticipate. Yeah, Does that sound right? Yeah, because the problem, I was saying, you know, to reiterate, the problem that I have is, like we were talking about um, the fact that, you know, using different machines and how you can kind of have files on one machine that you need and then not having them if you want to leave the house, right? So I can't, I, I'm not going to take my Mac Pro out of the house with me. Um, I have my <laughs> MacBook Pro for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I was saying, like, with, with Inquisitive, all of my files are there. Because it's multiple, multiple gigabytes of stuff, um, and I have I have a lot of the master stuff in Dropbox, but the project files, as we were mentioning, can, can be huge. Um, so the thing is, like my problem now that I see is just time management. So my solution to this problem yeah. is effectively managing my diary, so I know I will be home on certain days at certain times to do this stuff. That's kind of like my solution. Funnily yeah. enough, my solution is not a hardware or software one. It's just time management. It's a, it's a life hack. It's a life hack. I, I have to <laughs> hack my life so I well, can produce the shows. Having having those kinds of barriers is useful too. I mean, for me, I love I love um, being the the fact that my MacBook uh, Air lets me has the fastest SSD. It's got an i7. It lets me um, have the freedom to edit a podcast wherever I want. And if I'm traveling, that's what I do. But to your point, I don't... I, I like the fact that my iMac is here at my desk. And when I'm here, I'm working. And when I'm somewhere else, there's some part of my work that doesn't come with me. And that's I'm okay with that because if everything was on my MacBook Air like it used to be, I could you know taking that MacBook Air anywhere also meant I could do that work anywhere. And now there's an extra bump in the way, and so I'm much less likely to be sitting outside on a on a summer day <laughs> editing a podcast under the tree, right? And that's if I really want to do that, I can get over that bump. But I think what what that makes me do is say, nah. I'm going to sit out here under this tree and do something else. I'm going to write. I'm going to do something that is not that thing. I'm just going to put that thing back where it belongs. And that that is about making some choices to order your life. We're getting very Merlin Man now. Um, <laughs> it's about making choices to order. That's a good thing. Uh, about you know making choices about how you want to structure and order your life. And technology fits into that. But sometimes the technology can be a useful tool to actually actually construct those barriers that that the technology forms the barrier and although we can solve the problem of uh and tear down that technological barrier sometimes it's nice to have the barrier sometimes it's nice to keep it up the speed bumps speed bumps are annoying if you're trying to get from point a to point b but they're really great if you live on the street that leads from point a to point b and you don't want your cat run over by a speeder Um, and so sometimes speed bumps are good and and that's what it sounds like for you Wow, that was really deep. Yeah, man. Anyway, what's next on Back to Work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk to you about some comic books. Comic books, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) God, I wish I had a bell right now. Ding! No, I don't have a bell. Ah, (laughs) mailbagging. There it is. Anyway, that I, I like the feedback. I thought it was great. I just it, that's one of the things that I noticed about it is 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 I love that everybody was trying to solve the problem, um, but it is interesting that in some ways sometimes you want the problem to not be solved, or you know because of the way that you've got your life structured. So yeah, I mean ultimately the the remote desktop is a solution. 
it, I just don't think it's a solution to my problem. But to, to most right. people, remote desktop is the perfect solution to getting the files that you need from another oh, yeah. machine. I mean, also, stuff like Backblaze, I can grab my files mm-hmm. there, you know, that kind of thing. So it, there are ways around a lot of these things. Absolutely. Um, but then there are other barriers that can kind of get in the way. And, and at a certain point, at least I feel this way anyway, you've kind of just got to give in. I think because you can you can you can continue to try and fix this forever when sure. ultimately you're never really going to be fully happy with the right. results so just accept it. Well look, if you realize that you you needed to edit some of the time away from the Mac Pro, something changes in your life and and you are, you know, you are away from where you live 2 days a week, staying with a friend somewhere because of some, you know, something just a, li- a theoretical life change. Um at that point you might say, "Okay, <laughs> I need a the ability to travel and work on this stuff. And then you would come up with something that would, that would work. But in, exactly. in your life as it currently is being left la- lived, it's fine. Yep. I, I'm, yeah. That's uh, I get it. I, I get it. I'm traveling a lot in a couple of weeks time. Right. Um, so I will be, I will be loading up a USB three hard drive with a bunch of files and I'll be bringing that with mm-hmm. me. You know, there you so, go. but, but that's not something that I want to do every couple of days. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, when I go to Europe, I'm going to load up uh, the SSD on my MacBook Air with uh, projects of <laughs> all these different things that I'm working on. And I love nothing more than editing podcasts on an airplane. It is just supremely focused. But, yeah, but I'm not, I don't do that every day. Anyway, I thought that was good. That, 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 that's, the, uh, that's the follow-up. That's, uh, that's it. I, I've got some stuff in Ask Upgrade at the end of the show and a couple uh, notes on some of the topics in the meantime. But uh, if uh, you want to tell us about one of our friends, now might be a good time, I think. I think it's the perfect time to talk about our friends over at Igloo, the internet mm. you'll actually like. With Igloo, you can share news, organize your files, coordinate calendars, and manage your projects with your team all in one place. Igloo is a fantastic way for you and everybody that you work with to get together, socialize, and make sure that you're all on the right page all the time with your work stuff. Igloo's intranet platform works on any device. Talking phones, tablets, desktops, Macs, it doesn't matter. What device you've got. As long as you've got a screen and an internet connection and a web browser, you're going to be fine. Because Igloo have built their entire platform with responsive web design in mind. So you can do anything from reading a document to managing your tasks, share a photo of your lunch, or to administrative stuff like managing your settings as well. You can do this all on any device within the web browser. Igloo truly allows you to work how you want, where you want, whenever you want. Igloo's latest upgrade, Viking, revolves around documents. And what they've done is they've strengthened how you can interact with them, gather gather feedback, and make changes. They have a great HTML5 document preview engine. This can be viewed on all platforms that Igloo supports, as I mentioned, basically everything, and ensures everyone is up to date with the latest version. So it's, you know, you, you upload the file there and people will download it that kind of thing like it's all there it's all up there in one place so people can always make sure they've got the latest version which is really important because you don't want bob and mary to be working on totally different files it's crazy and they've even added the ability to track who has 
read critical information to keep everyone on the same page. They've kind of created a system like read receipts that you have in email, but way less annoying. So it shows up with the document. It helps you track whether employees have read and acknowledged policies, signed off on legal agreements, or confirmed completion of training materials. Just a super easy way to get everybody to know that without everyone having to communicate with each other about it. Igloo just takes care of it. Best of all, Igloo's platform is super customizable. You can change how your Igloo looks and functions however you want for whatever teams and whatever parts of your Igloo you want to, to change. You can do it all really easily and all the changes that you make show up everywhere instantly. If your company has a legacy intranet that looks like it was built in the 90s, you should give Igloo a try. Igloo is free to use with up to 10 people and you should sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash upgrade. Thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. I think the guy who uh, uh, invented Igloos owns igloo.com, so don't go there. Unless you need to buy an Igloo. I mean, if you do, that's probably the place. The Igloo Emporium. Could be. Could be. Yeah, sure. But igloosoftware.com is where our friends live. So what do we have next, Mr. Jason Snow? Oh, topics. Uh, you want to talk about the Apple car some more, Mike? <laughs> I do, actually. Uh, all right. I'm glad I brought it up then. I listened to ATP. And, yeah, uh, me too. And I, I thought to myself, this is just what they've waited for. Like, everything has, has led up to this for them, you know? They started out with neutral. You could tell they were all yeah. so happy that they were able to have the car discussion. Yeah. Uh, without- well, maybe not Marco. <laughs> I really enjoyed it though. I I was a, a fan of Neutral, um, so mm. I was happy to hear it to hear it back. The only episode of Neutral that I liked was the one where they talked about car interfaces because that's something I care about. I don't care about cars. I, I car interfaces, yes. Like cars as a as a as a hobby, as a thing you enjoy like thinking about and reading about. Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a car person, but I, I did love their thing about, which they cited on ATP, their episode about car UI, where Marco says quite rightly that uh, relying entirely on a touchscreen for everything in a car is madness. And I think some car makers are now backing away from that. Like having a dial that you know where it is and you can turn it and you get the feedback and you know exactly how much you need to turn it or flip a switch or slide a slider um, when you're driving is really good because you can't look to see if the thing you did got, you know, accepted. And, uh, you know, when I turn on the the air conditioner in my car, I I turn a a knob and it turns on. And I don't need to look because I know where the knob is and I know how to turn it on. Even, you know, skipping ahead on uh, my radio is a button and I know where the button is and I can press it. So I I love that episode and the follow-up that they did in uh, in ATP this week. Although I thought that was interesting. Marco... um, you know, Marco expressed a lot of skepticism, and we talked about this last week a lot, that I, I'm not sure whether there's an Apple car that is going to ever come out. Um, they they talked a lot about, like, what it, could it be if it's not an Apple car, which I thought was interesting. I think part of this is, like we said last week, investigatory. Could, should we do this? Can we do this? Uh, uh, Jean-Louis Gasset on the, the Monday Note had a had a piece today about that Uh since it's Monday, uh, that was uh, 
about, about his skepticism of the Apple car uh, and that how hard it is to get into the car industry, which I, I, I'll grant you, but Apple's got a lot of money and can recruit a lot of people. Um, but they might be, you know, they might end up in a place that is not all the way at a car, right? I mean, they might, they might not. Marco's point was, um, or I think it was John's point was, if you, if, if uh, all you have to differentiate your car is uh, the experience, uh, you don't want to hand that over to Apple and then become just kind of the dumb pipe that provides the the tires and things like that. Uh, why would a car maker do that? And you'd almost need a car maker that was down on their luck at that point. Um, I don't know. It, it's I, I'm fascinated by it. I do think that Apple could could uh, do something that would be interesting. Whether it would succeed or not is a is an open question. But I, I think. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to see what Apple what Apple might try. And I would think that Apple would get something out of it, even if they didn't end up making a car ultimately. But the bottom line, I mean, even in that ATP episode, you know, you could hear them almost convincing themselves during the episode that it would be a good idea. And, and the, the moment for me that that came across was when they were talking about the current state of affairs in cars and how car makers aren't very good <laughs> at doing this stuff at at user interface and at uh software <laughs> and uh are they going to get better i mean this is these are companies that generally punt everything to their oems they punt entertainment systems to someone else and the, and they're they're lousy um so if that's the case uh, you know marco's argument was oh well you know they they uh, they're lousy and we still drive them. <laughs> like okay, but what if there was something that was non lousy? And that, I think that's the Apple. Uh, that would be would be Apple's take on it. Is if you're if you're an Apple executive and you're driving down the car the the, the two eighty interstate in your uh, fancy car and you're frustrated by how lousy the user experience is on the inside, would you not ask yourself the question why can't this be better and could we do something to do this? Just, just developing an interior or like, you know, and, and when they and they were talking about interior, this is turned into Fallout now. Um, they were talking about like the entertainment system and just the way the car looks and feels on the inside. That feels like such a non-profitable business. Like if that's all Apple was doing, like it doesn't seem like there could be enough money in that to really make it worthwhile. Like cars are sold... To, to an individual maybe like a couple of times in their lives and right. i can't imagine that a huge piece of the markup that's involved in a car you know that that belongs to so of the price that you pay on a car i can't imagine that a large amount of the price of the markup belongs to the 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 interface or the user experience inside or the level that's used right a lot of the expense is going to come from the actual manufacturing of the the motors and sure. etc i would assume so i can't imagine like that people are going to pay a huge amount of money for an apple design thing when they're already laying out you know an incredible amount of money already you know cars tend right. to be like the second big purchase in your life i suppose the i um you you gotta wonder if maybe what they end up with is they uh they experiment maybe they experiment with this and they realize they'd rather not build a car and at that point they take what they've built to a car maker and say you know let's make a deal and it, it, maybe it's not 
we're going to license this to whoever wants it. Maybe it's let's make a deal with Ford or, you know, or Nissan or Honda or whoever. And maybe it's as much as let's make a deal and create a new line of car that's a joint venture between you and us. And, uh, you know, it'll have our technology and it'll be a new brand name so you can still have your other products and other brand names. There's lots of different permutations that could happen, especially since I can imagine anything because I don't know anything about the car industry. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But right, I mean, just applying those those thoughts, there's lots of ways this could go that isn't just Apple is going to entirely make a car itself. <laughs> lots of different ways it could go. Let's um, make the, but, the the rocker car, right? Yeah, well, right. <laughs> I mean, well, you could argue that CarPlay is kind of the rocker car, right? I think I might have said that last week, it, where it's not quite all the way there and it's uh, really compromised because Apple only controls one tiny little part of that of that product and. I don't know. I I I, uh, I I keep trying to put myself in the mind myself in the mind of Apple executives and thinking we we got to be able to do better than what's out there. And and I think they think like that. Like we can disrupt this. We got we got to we can do better. We can push these guys. And if they won't if they won't come with us, maybe we'll do something ourselves. Oh, I wanted to point out too. A bunch of people have said, "Well, why don't they just buy Tesla?" It's like, well. How does that work? Does that work? Does that would that get them what they wanted? I mean, Tesla's a public company, uh, so could they do a takeover? Have they talked to Tesla and discovered that Tesla would uh, would fight it or people would quit, or or have they not talked to Tesla? Have they? Is Tesla what they want? To, is what Tesla's doing what Apple what Apple's vision of a car is, or is it not? Um, are they are they compatible or not? I, I don't think it's just as easy as saying if Apple wants to do cars, they should just buy Tesla because then what you're going to get is Tesla. And maybe Apple doesn't want Tesla. Maybe Apple doesn't want to be Tesla. Maybe Apple wants something different. Uh, we we don't you know we're left to speculate we, yeah. as we will be doing for the next five years yep. probably. What is buying Tesla like? What is that? Because you don't just like in these scenarios you can't just like I mean I know you kind of can but you don't just walk up to a company and just be like we will take everything exactly that you're doing hmm. change nothing but we have it it doesn't work like that no like, well, look at what's happening with Beats where they're going to end up with a completely different music service the reports say that's not even maybe going to be branded as Beats that is going to be their subscription service because it went inside Apple and they're like oh no we're not going to do it that way and yeah. it like it immediately started taking it apart and putting it back to, together again yeah but like my point is like that Dr Dre and Jimmy Iovine were happy for that to happen clearly because they went with it and i would expect that Elon Musk doesn't want to work at Apple like i right. a man like him not because there's anything wrong with apple but just like why would he work why would he not be the man you know um right because beats is kind of over time is going to start to get more and more hidden you know like mm-hmm. especially as beats music will disappear etc um and you know and i wonder if eventually i don't think they have yet if they drop the by dre um, I don't know. In Beats. I mean, I, I don't know if they will, but it would be interesting to see what they do with that um, because they kind of don't really acknowledge, like all of the marketing currently is still weird Beats marketing. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't know if Apple have a hand in it, but it seems to follow the exact same 
path that it did before. So there might just be a case of like inertia still carrying some of that stuff along. But anyway, like you know, so so much to say that I don't expect that you you could just walk up to Tesla and and make Tesla as awesome as it is there. Like things are going to happen, and you could end up like back to square one again right. if after the two year agreements, literally everybody that's important leaves. <laughs> Well, as uh, Joe Steele pointed out in the chat room, you know, Elon Musk might just take the money uh, and use it for SpaceX so he can go to Mars. Um, and my, my thought there is just what if uh, what if somebody like Apple looks at at uh, Tesla and says, you know, Elon Musk is the guy who's made all of this stuff happen. And without him there and his expertise, we you know, it, the company loses a lot of its value. You risk yeah. in, in, in a scenario like that. It's not like a poison pill. Um but it is sort of, which is if you've got a founder who's not going to stick around and you view the founder as having a huge part of the value of the company, then you kind of can't buy the company because by buying the company, you're sending a huge chunk of the value of the company out. And if um, there's one company on the planet that understands the value of the vision of a founder, it's Apple. It would probably be Apple. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, but like like I said, I mean it may not just be as simple as Apple. Apple's doing all of this because they very specifically think there's something that, that they think Tesla needs competition. They have a different take on what the car should be. They they want to do it themselves and not do not just buy Tesla. They want to do what they want to do, and it's different. And and that's another reason that you do what you you know you do it separately. If uh, it is a fair question to ask that if Apple looked at Tesla and said, "Man, that is exactly what we want to do," but they're doing it. What's the right thing to do there? The right thing to do there might be to do nothing. It might be if you feel like it's vitally important that Apple have a car strategy, you buy Tesla. It would be a shame if the strategy was, well, let's do that too. We'll we'll just hire a bunch of people from Tesla and we'll make our own Tesla and it'll be Apple. Um, that could be the case. My my hope, the optimist in me says that that's it's probably not that, and that it's um, I hope anyway it's not that. And that it's they want to do something different, or they can't get they can't get Tesla for some reason. They're like, well, no, no, we can't do that. We're going to do this ourselves. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I love. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember the movie Who Killed the Electric Car? Yes. Uh, great documentary about the first round of electric cars, which were basically taken off the road um, and junked, even though the people who drove them loved them. They weren't allowed to buy them. They were all rentals and they were all taken away. And uh, it's funny now because now um, now that documentary is like a from a blip in time because uh, enough changed that now electric cars are a thing again. But uh, th- that was uh, uh, it's funny that we've come that far is, is sort of my point there is that is that we were at a point where it looked like. Uh, with despair, the electric car was an idea that was their time was right, but the car makers just were playing a, a, a you know a, a game on us, a scam to say yeah 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 we're working on it, and then they uh, swept it under the rug. But what happened is a few years later, they uh, they came back. So now yeah. we're talking about it a lot, and I think it's very clear to to see that. Uh, electric cars and smart cars are are going to be a huge part of the future, uh, whether Apple's making them or not. The oil situation changed. Like fundamentally, I think car companies have come to the realization that it's going to run out. Like so, if you want to continue to exist, you need to find different ways to power your vehicles. Um, anywho, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I I am at least. I mean, I know this is this 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 rumor, this discussion is maybe getting played out a bit now, but I'm I'm happy that we have something uh, interesting like this to talk about. That that is not just us making up what we would like to see. You know, like th- this is a this is a, <laughs> a an interesting uh, thing to discuss. I think. Um, well, like uh, like uh, listener listener Nick Foster wrote in to suggest that if there was an Apple Car, would it have Apple Pay, and could you pay a drive-through with your footprint on the gas pre- gas pedal? See, making things up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listener Nick. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Apple Pay. You just drive over something and it buys something for you. Sure. Bare, bare feet driving. Why not? But uh, yeah, there are also uh, it, it is it is good that we have this to talk about because although it may be outlandish and far off and meaty, um, it sure beats the alternative, which is tiny snippets of non-information leading to people pondering secret plans of apples that don't exist, which uh, is my way of saying my uh, old colleague, uh, Chris Breen left Macworld last week and uh, is, is taking a job at Apple. And, uh, I suddenly started seeing all these all these sp- things that were speculating of like why is Apple hiring journalists? What is their plan? Is Apple going to launch its own website? Well, besides apple.com? Hmm? You did seriously were people yeah. saying that. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Why? What would you do on it? Like, yeah. Well, no. And, and I had, and, and what they said was, well, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. They hired Anand Lal Shimpy, and they hired uh, Chris Breen. And one one person pointed out that my old colleague John Seth uh, is working at Apple right now, and that's true. And there's at least one other former MacWorld person who uh, left last year who is working at Apple. So. You know, I can report that exclusively here. <laughs> so uh, people are like, oh, what are they doing? Well, the answer is, okay, first off, a whole bunch of people uh, lost their jobs <laughs> and are looking for new jobs. So that's step one. And those are people who actually understand things about Apple and know people at Apple and all of that. So that's that's part two. Um, in Chris's case, he didn't lose his job, although you know, with a staff the size that Macworld size is now, you got to figure he lost all of his uh, former colleagues. He was probably being called on to do a whole bunch of stuff that that uh, you know he wasn't doing before. And, you know, and and also something traumatic like that happens, and you reevaluate. If you read his blog post, he says very much like, "I wanted to take this opportunity to do something else," which really resonated with me because that was what was going through my mind too. Is like, I I need to take this opportunity. I, I will regret it if I don't try something else before as he put it you know you put on the on the on the long shorts and sit out in the deck chair and (laughs) or or an old man playing checkers at the park um so the fact is i i mean i got i got recruited by an apple recruiter like two or three years ago to for a job doing like um it was i think it was app store curation of some kind um and that 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 is considered an editorial job. Apple has lots of edit- what you'd call editorial jobs, things that a skill set of being a writer and editor for a place like Macworld would come in handy. And th- these that's like not not PR jobs. That's a different set of jobs. And I, most of the journalists I know are ill-suited for PR. Let me put it that way. They're ill-suited for PR. I don't think they could do it. But there are lots of other jobs. So there's App Store Curation. There's documentation uh, on the inside. There's Apple University on the inside. There's documentation on the outside. There's writing content for Apple's website. Uh, there, I mean, the list 
I mean, literally goes on. You can go to Apple's career website and see all the jobs that Apple has and see that there is some chunk of them that are kind of like content producer jobs. Yep. I uh, literally so, saw somebody tweet today uh, about a job in London uh, working on, I'm just bringing it up now, it's an, it's an editorial job. Um, oh, it's, it's taken forever to load. But it, it, it's it's like they have many roles like this which are editorial, and this is for an editorial producer of experience across pop culture and specific expertise in music journalism. I mean, so mm-hmm. this kind of ties into what we were talking about last week with Zane Lowe. Uh, right, m- moving across. Exactly. Um, but but what it but this is like I I thought of this would be interesting for this topic is because it shows that there are just a ton of people that work in editorial like that is a thing there like I mean you know do you remember yeah. we were talking um I think it was last week about uh, Apple and the idea of them being in control of podcasts and I was saying that I know that there are people that work on podcast editorial. Like it's a thing because mm-hmm. somebody has yeah. to put stuff in the stores. <laughs> like it has to go in there exactly. somehow. Um, and and I guess it makes sense if you've got someone who you know is an, as a good eye for this stuff, like a journalist who's written about apps for years and years. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And and so there are so many different jobs. So it, I, I what I would say is, is there a conspiracy at Apple? Maybe. But uh, not to my knowledge. To my knowledge, no. The, these are the people I know who are working at Apple are all working in different places for different teams um, and uh, doing different things that take advantage of the skills that they've had in the media on the outside in a different way that serves Apple. And and so people just get very literal minded and say, oh, well, this person does X, so they must be doing X at Apple. And that's just not uh, that's not how it works. Generally, that's not. That's not what what happens now. Nobody knows what a non blal shimpy is doing, um, but even there, just because he comes, he, his background is so very specific in that he's an incredibly technical person and a communicator. Um, I have some ideas of where he might be, but uh, really, there's there are a lot of places they could plug him. That's not you know you, but you don't hire him to write articles for Apple.com about processor performance. I think that there's more to it than that. Otherwise, I don't think he would even want that job. Um, so I, I don't know. It's uh, it's just funny. People like to see patterns, and uh, sometimes you see patterns out of noise. And I think that's what's happening here. Um, that said, it is a fascinating thing. I had a, a good conversation. I mean, we talked about the podcast stuff, and we talked about the music curation last week. And um, I think it's interesting when you look at this. I had a, I had a nice conversation on Twitter with, I want to say, David Barnard um, about uh, how Apple handles curation and one of the, one of the issues i have with it is that it's anonymous and i think that uh maybe that will start to change but if you look at what beats does they have editors who are experts and you can see their names and they curate stuff and they write stuff and it's great and i would like to see that in apple's other stuff apple's attitude up to now seems to have been and again, maybe this is one of those ways Apple is going to change. We talked about a lot about Apple changing. Apple's attitude up to now has been all the people who pick the, you know, they're curating apps, Mac app store apps, iOS apps, uh, games, podcasts, all of that stuff. They're like essentially anonymous. Um, uh, you don't, there's no names on the site. It's all just from Apple. And when I when I talk to them about the app curation, I, I can tell you that the, the philosophy was very much like um, 
you don't you know you don't know anybody you don't talk to anybody nobody knows that you're an app curator nobody knows anything there's no communication if you need art from them because you want to promote it on the app store you go to somebody else at apple and then they go to the developer and get the art it's just like this totally weird black box and uh that's a very old school apple way of approaching it in my opinion <laughs> it's totally wrong that that beats has it right and apple has it wrong, which is, um, first off, uh, this is something I learned at, at Macworld and Mac user before that, which is the idea that there's this voice of God that comes from a brand and tells you what's good or what, or what's bad. And that, that, that is, um, it's a lie because somebody wrote that review. Somebody made a decision, a writer, an editor, somebody made a decision it's coming from some source. It's not coming from the the mountaintop, from you know, you know, MacWorld's secret lab de- de- determined that this product is good. That's not what happened. It was a writer with an opinion, or an editor and a writer who collaborated and they had an opinion about a product. And I I feel that with Apple, and it's a very actually old media way of thinking, an old brand way of thinking, which is the way we show our authority is by pretending that no human beings are involved and that it's all just a black box and nobody knows where it comes from. And and it's through, and put, putting this in 21st century terms, it's through a lack of transparency <laughs> that we are trustworthy. And that's crap. That's ridiculous. That's completely backward. Through You get... You get uh, trustworthiness through transparency, through disclosure. Y- you, if you look on Beats, you, you the curated playlists are curated by a person, and you you can say, oh, that guy likes this stuff. I like that stuff. Or that guy likes this stuff. I don't like that stuff. But to say it's like, nope, our musical robots have assembled a playlist for you that you might like. Um, come on. There are no musical robots back there. There are human beings back there. And I think you could actually make your uh, content better if people could see the human beings. If we knew that there was like this person who wrote about who curated game, you know, best game lists at Apple, I, I actually and, and and the argument is, oh well, Apple needs to be impartial about because the all of the app developers are their partners. They're not impartial. They're featuring apps. They're yeah. picking apps and promoting them. They're doing best of lists at the end of the year. They're not impartial. So why pretend that you are? When you're not, it's just, it's, it's funny. This is one of those areas where I look at Apple and I think Apple is behaving like a, like a magazine I worked for behaved 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And and we learned whatever, 10 or 15 years ago that that was completely wrong. But Apple, I think, still does that. And so the question is, will, will the Beats thing maybe inject this other philosophy and the fact that Steve is gone and people are able to revisit what Apple wants to be and change it? Will they change it? Because they totally should change it. Well, it would be insane to hire a, a world-famous DJ for his experience. <laughs> so you can't talk music. to anybody ever again or admit that you're doing anything. Well, or Why even then, like, just not put his name by his pics, you know? Right. It would be crazy. Why would, you, why would you do that? But that's what's happening. And, and again, this is happening in music. So the question is, uh, would that happen somewhere else? Would that happen in podcasts? Would that happen in Mac apps? Would that happen in iOS apps. There was a moment when they were recruiting people for the Mac App Store, and I thought, well, you know, the person they should probably hire is Dan Frakes because he does the Mac Gems column at at, at MacWorld, which is entirely uh, highlighting amazing software you've never heard of for for your Mac. 
It's like, well, that is a perfect skill set for a, for a job like that theoretically. But if what you're going to do is hide that person behind a mask and nobody knows who they are and they never actually write anything. They only just pick things on the site and it's this weird kind of black box thing. First off, why would somebody like Dan ever want to do that job? And second, you've completely wasted what makes what the work that Dan did so great. So uh, will Apple, will Apple's approach to music change and will that bleed into Apple's approach to other forms of media? I don't know. I hope it does because uh, I think it should. I think I think uh, I think there are some great content people inside and curation people inside Apple now who are not allowed to have a voice because that's not what the policy is. The policy is everybody. It's just a secret. It doesn't make any sense. I do think that this will change. I, I think I so. they're staffing up in an interesting way, um, and and it would make sense to me if if uh, Chris Breen did was going to do something like this like i would understand that you know um not that i'm saying yeah. that's what i think he's doing because i, I yeah. have no idea but i don't think that's what sense. he's doing no. i don't think that's what he's doing but yeah it it would make Who sense knows? for at least somebody like him you know to go and do a job like this i think yeah. would be very sensible i don't think those jobs exist right now at apple but maybe they will someday uh, you know maybe they will but i i just it's that uh I realize I've just ranted about this for a while, but it's that it really sets me off because I had that moment where Rick LePage, my old boss at Macworld, who previously was the editor of MacWeek, been around this business a long time. And he, to he told me um, at, at some point, he said, look, this royal we <laughs> that we've all been taught to write when we review stuff is a lie. Because <laughs> if you write a review and like something, that's you you liked it and somebody else might disagree. So pretending that there's only one possible opinion here and it's yours and it's not even your voice anymore. It's this, you know, God up on the mountaintop is, is disingenuous. You're actually, you're, you're hiding, you're lying to your, your audience. And uh, that, I mean, that really stuck with me and my belief that you need to, people need to see who's back there. And, um, to see Apple kind of continue in some places to cling to this idea that it's all a secret and we're just a secret society that pushes things, you know, in, through a slot and then they go out in the world and who knows where it came from or what the motivations are. It is a, uh, it's not effective. It's not a, it's not a 21st century approach to, uh, to curating content. And so, yeah, I hope, I hope with the, uh, the, the, the DJ hiring and the purchase of Beats, that this is a sign that they're, they're changing the approach. Because how great would the App Store be if it had a much stronger voice and stronger set of people who were visible saying, here are great things in the App Store? More curation in the App Store would not be bad. <laughs> it would be really great. I would love to see um, more, and I say more, and I'll say why in a moment, guest sort of recommendations sure. as well like because apple do something called the indie game showcase it's something that's kind of i think it's there every week and they they showcase a game right and they write about the game a little bit and then the, the developer of that game they recommend they have a section on the page that recommends their favorite games right so it's it's, mm. it's a way like the, that i like that kind of thing you know like let's say for example they contacted you and they wanted you to pick your five favorite apps or like post a picture of your home screen and what are all the apps there you know mm. i'd love to see that in the in the app store it'd be fantastic right. 
Um, I mean, I know so that I- there's I know there's already <laughs> a lot of places that do that, like your website, but I think it would be really nice to see oh. that kind of stuff there as well. Well, Apple has the power uh, to reach an audience that no independent website can do because they're Apple, because they built the apps. Uh, it's always been a challenge because Apple has had, I mean, remember they did iReview where they were writing reviews of websites and things like that. It's like Apple's history with content creation shows that they are they have no idea about how to create content. But that was a long time ago. They could change. I'm not sure whether they're willing to change or not, but it wouldn't be great. And, uh, you know, winds of change are blowing at Apple. So maybe this is this is a, a place where where we might see some some of that. I don't know. I, my guess is that there are a lot of people inside Apple who think that this is that that having more voice and more visibility is the right thing to do. And my guess is there are also people within Apple who are sticking to the old approach, which is no, 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 we're going to be totally objective. And, you know, and we don't put the names of who writes our software in our, in our about box. So why would we put the names of people who have opinions about apps? It's like trying to, and again, this is one of these fallacies where they're using their, their, their thinking about the, their products to think about content. And that's why Apple traditionally has done a bad job with content, which is the problem when you've got a content store and you're trying to curate it is it's not software it's content different people have different takes and what you're looking for is the experts with taste to make choices and let the let the user decide and that's different than the way you build software where you got to make the choices and you don't let the user decide you make the choices it's they're, they're just totally different and um i don't know My optimistic side says maybe that that will finally change at Apple. Um, I'm sure there are people at Apple who feel that way too. But they they should, you know, yeah, yeah. It's just funny. We talk about it with music. Apple seems to have a little bit more comfort when it comes to music. But they should be doing that for TV and movies and apps. Absolutely with apps. Maybe. We're Something. running a little long now, because uh, yeah. <laughs> we we both got very passionate there. <laughs> I know, it. I know. Well, but let's. I, uh, let... I love it. I, I love that. That I didn't expect that. I don't think either of us expected that conversation. Nope. But I'm I'm pleased that we had it. It was a very interesting one. I look forward to seeing people's opinions on that. Thanks, <laughs> thanks to our friend Chris Breen, yeah. who <laughs> is not actually doing any of that, but is working at Apple and uh, is awesome. And we'll, we'll wrap up this sec this section on that note, which is I worked with Chris Breen. I I, I did the math. I worked at the same publication as Chris Breen for twenty years. From 1994 to 2014, first a Mac user and then a Mac world. I think the world of him, um, I felt really bad for him when he was the last soldier standing when everybody else uh, left Mac world last fall. And I wish him nothing, nothing but the best. Also, he composes every podcast theme song out there, including ours. So thanks to Chris for that. He's told me that he'll continue to uh, compose podcast music as long as I keep sending him T-shirts. So <laughs> thank you, Chris, and best of luck at Apple. Because yeah, now he's going to sink beneath the sea, and we're never going to, you know, I, those who know Chris is writing well will look for his the words that are his favorite pet words that he works into things that nobody else uses, and then we'll know it's him. <laughs> it's like sending, sending like uh, warning shots over the wall, you know, so we yeah. know that he's still there. There are words. There are words only Chris Breen writes. And if we see one of those somewhere on an Apple website sometime, we'll know it's him. 
But yeah. anyway, we, I, I just I wish him the best. He's great. Uh, I think this is an exciting new adventure for him. The, the the loafer is on the other foot. He's been a work at home guy for the last you know forever basically, and now he's going to be commuting. Whereas I am now the the long time commuter is now the work at home guy. So we uh, we we crossed uh, crossed uh, jobs there a little bit, which is pretty hilarious too. So wish him the best. Absolutely. Congratulations, Chris. Yeah. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by PDF Pen Pro 7 from Smile. The new PDF Pen Pro 7 brings new features to Smile's versatile, professional-grade PDF editor for OS X. This new update includes the ability to edit OCR text from scanned pages. You can export to Excel, PowerPoint, and PDF archive formats, and PDF form creation with interactive signature fields. PDF Pen Pro 7 is adding even more power to Smile's fantastic PDF editing suite. PDF Pen Pro 7 also includes the new features that you'll find in the standard version of PDF Pen, PDF Pen 7, like an updated modern Yosemite user interface. You see these on both the Pro and the standard editions, along with OCR text proofing, context-sensitive pop-up menus, and performance improvements across the board, including saving your documents, along with compatibility with iCloud Drive. I love PDF Pen Pro. Uh, I love PDF Pen in general. It's such a fantastic app for the things that I need it for. I find myself increasingly these days needing to sign documents. And I do not want to buy a printer and I do not want to buy a scanner. I just want to have PDF Pen and it does a fantastic job for me. So people send me contracts and stuff to sign for sponsor agreements and things like that. I open them, I can open, they send me them in Word, I open them in PDF Pen, I sign it and I can export it as Word again and they'll never even know. I love it. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's, if you are a person that works with a Mac, it's an app that you should be checking out because once you kind of recognize that it's in your toolkit, you'll find uses for it all the time. I love PDF Pen um, and you should check it out. So learn all about PDF Pen Pro and PDF Pen from Smile at smilesoftware.com slash upgrade. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show. Hooray. What would you like to talk about? Should we, should we talk quickly about this Apple Watch uh, Magnum Opus that you and uh, Mr. Moran worked on? This yeah, week? let's 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 talk. We'll do a little Apple Watch, little little Apple Watch. We'll continue to tease uh, Internet of Things and uh, connected home stuff for a future episode. It's like our <laughs> Kindle. It's our new Kindle thing where we just promise it for weeks and weeks and never deliver it. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the Apple Watch. Oh, I should mention, by the way, for those who are listening, uh, uh, special guest next week. On upgrade, mm-hmm. special guest. Stay tuned for that mm-hmm. next week. It's not Chris Breen. <laughs> you make it sound like it's someone who has an Apple Watch. Uh, we're not talking to the <laughs> Apple Watch next week. No. It's Siri Hello, on the Jason. Apple Watch. How can I help? <laughs> Ahoy, watch. <laughs> so, what made you want to write this, and, and what is this post? <laughs> so it's it's called uh, what is it? What we, Apple Watch? What we know? Yeah. Um, it, so back at Macworld, we would write these FAQ stories about uh, various Apple products, and um, they were really popular, and I don't want to give that up. And Serenity Caldwell has learned this lesson well, because she's writing them, and I'm more now, too. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to give them up, and so we wanted to do one about the Apple Watch, and we wanted to start, uh, we probably should have started this 
you know, um, back at Macworld, but when the, when the Apple Watch was announced, but some somehow you know the next day we didn't work at Macworld anymore. So uh, with the in the <laughs> somehow run up, magically <laughs> that just happened uh, in the in the run up for um, for the release of the Apple Watch, I thought it, this would be a good time to start a document that explains what is going on with the Apple Watch, and that way we can use we can start that we can ask people to to. Um, we actually did a form that's linked to from that that you can ask your questions and we'll do updates um, over the next few weeks. And from a pure sort of like website strategy standpoint, having an article that is linked to about the Apple Watch is great because that helps us in search. And when the Apple Watch comes out, what we'll do is we'll update that post. So it'll be more current, but it will have already been out in the world. So if people are searching for a question about the Apple Watch, one of the answers uh, in their search results, hopefully, will be our story. Yeah. So there's a, there's a content strategy po- portion of it, which was sort of the playbook that we used at Macworld, too. Um, but I figured... We're about to enter Apple Watch time, <laughs> and so it's good to have that reset and refresh. And for us, it was good to pour through Apple's marketing pages and try to figure out all the details of this. And it's funny, um, there's this whole conversation happening. Uh, John Gruber is sort of at the center of it about like what the different prices are for the watches and and, and what the different bands are and all of that. And that w- it was funny that that was going on just after we had had that whole conversation ourselves, me and Dan, um, about what the different models were going to be and what the price prices were going to be in are the bands available with the different models and uh you know I, I some of the feedback i got about our story was you know you say it's this but it's going to be this and i said where does it say it's going to be that and a lot of times the response i get is oh well i just assumed it was going to be that. it's like well yeah this is one of the challenges for writing a story like this is uh, there are a lot of things we can guess about but what do we know what do we what do we know and what do we think is likely and trying to keep those clear about you know what we know and what we don't so hopefully it's useful as a refresher for people who've forgotten the avalanche of information that came out in September about the Apple Watch and we can use that as a jumping off point as more information comes out as we're now in the run up to its uh, being released is there any information in here that you were able to get yourself like either from being at the event I'm sure some of the, that these photos are yours um and or like if you've been able to get any information from Apple that has helped inform this piece no we've just been uh it goes back to the Apple watch time we had in September and uh and all the stuff that Apple's posted it's mostly just trying to glean from that what the details are because Apple's got these beautiful web pages that show a whole bunch of different things and there's just so much there and we wanted to boil it down into a into a simpler kind of like, does it do this? Does it do that? Also, we've seen a lot of people ask us these questions where we know the answers and it's, and they, and we get them repeatedly and it makes you realize, oh, people just don't understand this thing about the Apple watch. So let's put that together. I'd say the biggest new thing is the developer information because Apple rolled out the uh, watch kit stuff. And there's like the first wave where they're projecting onto the screen. And, you know, a bunch of developers are talking about how you get your app to do something in the, uh, which is like a very lightweight kind of control that can go on the watch. And then down the road, there's supposed to be a more full-fledged app SDK, which they'll probably see at WWDC. Um, maybe, maybe not, maybe later than that. So uh, some of that got to got to be in there too. Um, having looked through all of this information again and kind of refreshed yourself on it, um, what is your 
personal feeling about the device? Like, do you do you want one? Like, actually, to, for yourself, other than just like the need or the perceived right, I mean, need to right. write about it. I mean, I'm going to have to have one because I'm going to have to write about it. But you're right. Uh, I probably I, I've had a as I've said on the show before, I've had a pebble for a couple of years. Um, oh, I, poor I do, pebble! As we record pebble. this oh, tomorrow, man. they're they're uh, they're having an event, <laughs> and some images came out today yeah. that were leaked. I'll put a link in the show notes. But maybe by the time uh, you're listening to this, you know what Pebble's device is going to be, and it looks a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so bad for them. Bad they shouldn't them. be make if basically they're making a color screen uh, Pebble, and if mm-hmm. what we've seen is what they're making. They should have just not made it. They should have just yeah. stuck as they were and just went with the, the, the e-ink screen, I think, because that made yeah. them different. But anyway. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, so my, my answer is that, yeah, I, I, I think I do want an Apple Watch. I think it's going to be cool. I've been primed by my two years with the Pebble, and I think that having something that works much better with my iPhone is something I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, I think, I think so. I, I doubt that was ever a real question. Um, cause it's me. Uh, I love this stuff, but, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll get it. In fact, I have to say doing the thing out of the research, the thing that struck me the most about this is that the more I looked at the, uh, the gold ones, the, the, the edition models, uh, I kept thinking, I kept thinking, oh man, I, I, and this is why they don't do it is I would love the they've got the the regular apple watch not the sport but the 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 mid-range one that's the apple watch and that's in that's basically in stainless steel or black um or or black stainless steel whatever it is joe steel (laughs) um it's uh wouldn't that be nice if it if it was gold but it's not like colored gold but nope if you want gold you're gonna get the real thing and you're gonna pay ten thousand dollars for it it's like wow I would I would like that watch, but I am not going to ever buy that watch. So, uh, I yeah, what you're I, saying I, now. Like, I, I, what what it's done is it's made me think. I'm not sure whether I want the sport or whether I would actually pony up, uh, or, or I guess in Crispian terms, pungle up uh, um, more money for the for the regular uh, model, which I really like the look of the the regular model too. But the most beautiful one is the one that is, alas, elusive. So you mean the Apple Watch model? The Apple Watch. Yeah, model. Which is so. Why did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> I like the that's Apple fair Watch. fashion industry. That I think yeah. that's what what I'm leaning to. But yeah, I don't know the price of it yet. No, uh, it could that, be a thousand. Could be five hundred. Could be seven hundred. Probably has something to do with the what band you get. Um, it's who knows. It's it's all there's much more information to be downloaded. That's why we will be uh, updating that Apple Watch what we know story as time goes on. Do you have any sense about what's going on with the bands because it seems to be getting more and more confusing as as the days go on. Like originally it seemed so simple. Yeah, well one one of the things that uh, different bands are shown on different pages and it's unclear whether those are the only bands that will work. I have a hard time believing that the Apple Watch is configured so that a band from one can't work on the other because then they're building different bands for the different models. And the way Apple described it on the day when they announced it and when I got to see it demoed in you know in person in a room with Apple executives, I saw them taking the the bands on and off. And it seemed to me like they were really banking on the fact that you could 
that you could just switch in new bands. So now people are sort of like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the sport band is only, or I guess the sport band's on most of them. It's like this leather band is only on this model. So the people who have this model won't be able to use it. I don't, I'm skeptical of that. I, I think what we're seeing is when you buy a watch, you get it, you can choose uh, which band it comes with uh, from this selection. But if you want another band, I'm sure Apple would be happy to sell you another band for some ridiculously marked up price, right? It's not. It's going to be a watch band that that you know you can get that second watch band for another hundred or 120 or 180 or whatever it is, and that'll just kind of pile up. Um, but I, I think that's different from saying, oh, it's incompatible. You can't get the whatever. In fact, I would I would say. I, and I, nobody can confirm this, but my recollection was that what the Apple executive said to me in my briefing was a, something about how if you buy the Apple Watch Edition, it might actually come with like a sport band in addition to your beautiful, expensive, uh, you know, Milanese loop. Um, it might also come with a sport band so you can slide it off and slide on the sport band and then go with that. Um, that I don't I don't have it in my notes, but that 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 I have big tickle in the back of my brain that that they said something about that and uh yeah so why wouldn't you be able to do that if you're going for a run you don't want your beautiful expensive band you could put on the sport band the more that i look at it the more i see that yes you will be able to buy other bands but i think that you will only be able to buy bands within your watch tier so if you have the apple watch sport you won't be able to buy apple watch bands Um, And the reason I think that is because luxury. Uh, There won't be massive, to the eye, like the difference between the Sport and the regular Apple Watch will be the shininess of the aluminium or the stainless steel. But the majority that you'll see on someone is the band. So if you can maybe save $300 and then spend an extra $200 on on an upgraded band, Mm. you are... um, you're getting the effect. Could be. And the reason that I say this is, and I know it's hard for maybe us nerds to get our heads around because it's like, well, why wouldn't you do that? The reason is luxury and status. And if Apple really do want to get into that world, the fashion world, that is just something that happens. Like... You don't get to, to get the cheap version and pretend you have the expensive one. So I agree with that to a point. The problem is, one, that's a lot of different bands that they're going to have to make available. Two, are they going to make them physically incompatible? Because otherwise, you could just order a sport or a, a regular, you know, Apple Watch watch band and put it on your Apple Watch Sport, and nobody would care. So are they go, are they really going to engineer three slightly different connectors for this slide on slide off connector that they built? I they could, but that's a long way to go. And then my third point is there's just going to be an aftermarket uh, band that is a beautiful leather band that attaches to your Apple Watch yeah. Sport that's been reverse engineered that you can buy online uh, that uh, will let you do it. And if if that's going to be the case, does Apple really want to be like, well, fine, that's a bootleg, that happens to luxury brands too? Or are they going to say, no, I want the person who cheaped out and bought our $350 watch, I want them to give us $150 for another band. I don't, I don't think we'll it's out of the realm of possibility to create slightly different connectors because they kind of already have to create... They're already creating different versions of it anyway um, for the 
that like the larger and smaller. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I mean, I know it it's seems peculiar. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised to see it go that way. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, genuinely, I I hope not uh, because. I, I think that my tastes are pushing me in a direction that's going to be very expensive for me. <laughs> uh, yep. But but we'll see. We'll see how that ends up uh, ends up rolling out. But I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm I'm finding myself more excited about it. And you know, and, and we've said this before on the show, and you mentioned it, like because me and you come from a slightly different uh, background in that we we understand the utility of a device like this. Um, so I, I'm excited for the utility, but I'm also just excited for the product because I think it looks really nice, um, and and uh, it's it's a totally new thing and it's going to be shiny and the battery's not going to last long enough, but it doesn't matter because it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we shall we finish off with some ask upgrade? Yes, let's do it. Hashtag ask upgrade. Brought to you by MailRoute. Imagine a world without spam, viruses, or bounced email. Uh, This is the world that I live in. I open my email in the morning and I see only legitimate mail, the stuff I want to receive. The spam has already been filtered out before it even reaches my mail server. That is thanks to MailRoute. There's no hardware for me to install. There's no software to install. It all happens in the cloud on MailRoute's servers. MailRoute receives your email first. It does its smart filtering. It finds the bad stuff puts that away and says, you know, go over there in the penalty box, delivers only the clean stuff to your mail server. It's easy to set up. It's reliable. The largest universities and corporations use this. Uh, If you're a desktop user like me, you'll find that the interface is simple and effective. I have it set to send me a little spam digest every day saying, here's all the spam you received. I like to read it and giggle at the ridiculous subjects that are in vogue in the spam world on any given week. Uh, if I do see something that is uh, has been filtered to spam mistakenly, which very rarely happens, it does happen occasionally, maybe once or twice a month, I can click, and with one click, that person is automatically whitelisted, they'll never be filtered again, and that mail is delivered immediately into my inbox, so super convenient. And if you're an email administrator or an IT professional, MailRoute's built all their tools with you in mind. There's an API for easy account ma- management. They support LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, Woohoo! Outbound relay. Thanks. You're a little late on that one, Mike. I know. Uh, I, I, is your enthusiasm for mailbagging flagging, Mike? No, I'm just getting like stage fright. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm I'm not upping the mailbagging stakes sufficiently. I think I think shouting mailbagging in the background like a madman is the classic Mike uh, mail route uh, behavior, and you should just stick with it. Should we do it again? All right. Let's let's try it. Okay, let's, let's try it and see. LDAP and Active Directory. You don't have to say anything there. TLS. Mailbagging. Mailbagging. There we go. <laughs> Outbound Relay. Uh, all of this stuff, uh, everything you want from the people who handle your mail. So remove spam from your life for good by going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. That's mailroute.net slash upgrade for a free trial. 10% off for the lifetime of your account. The whole time you're with Mailroute. 10% off. So thank you so much to MailRoute for sponsoring hashtag AskUpgrade. Thank you, MailRoute, for being so awesome and such good sports every week. Mailbagging! <laughs> um, I don't know what mailbagging is, but it sounds great. I, I uh, literally have no idea. <laughs> but I love it. I'm, I'm happy that it exists, but I, I don't yes. know what it means. Yes. 
Um, let's see. Hashtag ask upgrade. Uh, we we uh, we made a slight change to how we're going to be processing hashtag ask upgrade in the future, didn't we? You made the change. Yeah, I was. Uh, if t- 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 they've got some new apps and such uh, called Do, uh, they have and and they've rebranded the standard if right t- t- app. So I've been checking checking those out and kind of like digging around, and I came across a very similar to our Google drive sheet uh, basically it does a a, a search um, well i ended up creating it on my own because the one that i found didn't work um it just does a search for ask upgrade and adds it to our slack channel instead um i don't know if it's going to be better uh but i like that it's there and so we have that so i will um right. I'll, I'll put a link to the recipe uh, in the show notes, so nice. people can can use it for themselves. If they also want to have ask upgrade tweets in their Slack channel, they can. Uh, so go, you can go crazy. Lester Sean wrote in to say, Mike, what was that speed reading app you recommended? Um, uh, the app that I recommended is called Velocity, and it's made uh, by my friends at Lickability, um, and it's an app that. I've used. I I really like it. Like for for what it does, it does it in a very nice way, and they've got a, a nice little UI that they've created. I'm a big fan of the work that those guys do, so you should check it out. It's called Velocity. I'll put a link in the show notes. The show notes, which you can find in your podcast app of choice mm-hmm. or on the web over at relay.fm/upgrade/slash twenty four. Listener Gary writes: Why is there not more cheese vertical? Need more cheese? Two exclamation points. Well, Gary, here's my cheese-related story for you. Uh, my family and I... So last week, my kids had the, the week off from school. It was what, what they call midwinter break. They used to call it ski week. We don't call it ski week anymore because it's never, ever, ever going to rain or snow in California ever again. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, um, so they had, they had the week off. And uh, yesterday was the last day before they went back to school. They went back to school today. And uh, so we took a hike. We took a, we wanted to do something as a family and the kids would rather just play video games all day. But we, uh, we decided to do a family activity. So we took a hike and we're fortunate enough to actually be so close to good places to hike that we could walk there from our house. So we actually walked um, kind of... Uh, through a, a neighborhood behind our house and up a ridge and around. And we were, it was a good, I would say, six-mile hike. Um, we took a picnic. Uh, that was one way to make it more interesting for the kids, I think. So we, we brought a picnic with us. They got to pick some stuff that they wanted to bring. Um, so at the, up at the top on a windy hillside, it was a nice sunny day, a little, a little cool but, uh, and, and breezy, but an, a beautiful sunny day. We, uh, we uh, sat down and uh, had a little picnic. And I was happy to discover that my wife had decided, because it was a picnic, what better thing to have at a picnic than cheese and crackers. So we had cheese and crackers. There were two different kinds of cheese. Gary, this is for you. There was a traditional yellow cheddar, I believe is a Tillamook cheddar, so from Oregon. Um, Not the traditional cheddar. Traditional cheddar, Mike, would be from Cheddar, England, correct? Uh, yeah. Is that a is that a place? No. Is there a place called Cheddar? No, I don't think so. Oh come on! There's got to be a place called Cheddar. A village, a little like village by a, a Cheddar upon something river. Uh, probably there no. is. There's actually a in place Somerset. in Somerset called Cheddar. Yes. Boom. Uh, I don't know if that's where the cheese. Oh no, it is the village that Cheddar Cheese is named after. 
I don't know why go. I can't just having lived I'm, here for this amount of time just assume that that's the case. It's so obvious. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. Anyway, we did have some of that, and uh, we also had some uh, like uh, aged aged cheddar, another cheddar that was a white cheddar that is uh, that the kids don't appreciate but grown-ups enjoy that uh, we got that uh, was really nice, too. We didn't have any fancy cheese. There was no manchego. We had some gouda. My wife didn't bring it. Uh, so it was an all-cheddar picnic, but uh, plus other foods, but we're focused on the cheeses at the cheese vertical. Uh, we had a good time, walked down the, re- the rest of the way. It was beautiful. Um, I took a picture from the from the high point you can look out over these green hills and then you can see the bay and then in the background san francisco across the bay and it was very nice so that is my cheese update you have any cheese related things mike no no i i like I cheese so. a lot but right, i don't good. have any any uh uh updates which are which are and, noteworthy hey, for our right. cheese vertical today i'm right, afraid think about it think about it uh listener peter wrote in to say <laughs> Uh, this is sort of our sub-vertical about podcasts and chapters. Uh, listener Peter says, you don't need to make chapter markers necessarily. Just make a simple list of time codes to scrub it to in the show notes. How about that, Mike? This topic is, is I actually <laughs> think it's going it? to kill me. Like, <laughs> eventually I will die. Uh, all of these things are like, but then I'm literally sitting there typing it out. Like it's an, Okay, I know that there are people that want it, and I'm sorry to the people that want it. But for me personally, I feel that it is an it is an unproductive use of my time. Mm. Uh, there, there are many more things that I should be working on than than putting the timestamps in. Um, and also, I'm going to be frank, Jason. I'm going to be frank for a moment because I feel like I should. Okay, Frank. Whatever we, you say, Frank. We we need to make money, and we need you to hear our sponsors. And if we put things in, like, and you know there's going to be a new topic after the sponsor, then you may never get to it. And I kind of would like you to listen to them, or at least give them a try. Uh, and, and I'm concerned that, that it would mm. basically stop people from listening to them. Is that Should I not have said that? I don't know. I mean, you didn't really say it, Mike. Frank said it, so we'll we'll, we'll just take we'll just take what Frank has. No, I think I think you're right. I, I so uh, Joe also wrote in to say click we, that we have clickable chapter markers um, on the incomparable, which I've been experimenting with. Uh, they're not actually in the file; they're on the website. If you go to the website, and you can actually pass a link, and the player will automatically go to the timestamp, which is neat. And I'm going to try to use that some more. Um, and that, that might make podcasts more shareable. We were talking about having, having uh, shareability problems. I, I, I think it's not unreasonable. I am using on the incomparable, I'm using it for the broadest of show notes. Like for me, it's like literally we talked about two movies. Here's movie one. Here's movie two. Um, I think that's reasonable. Also, I got, I got to say, if you're going to go to a new topic, right after a sponsor break put your bookmark at the sponsor break and not the new topic then everybody will have to listen to the the sponsor i i i don't i don't view i i think you're making valid choices i um i do chapter marks very specifically uh for certain things i don't do it for everything i think the problem is what you say which is i think people maybe underestimate the amount of work that goes in. You you spend time putting together a podcast and editing it, and then you need to go back and do another pass. Or you have to build into your workflow in a, a note-taking workflow where you're writing down time code. And if you change anything later, 
that mo- affects the time code, then all your time code is wrong and you have mm-hmm. to do it again. And uh, you're talking about basically annotating an entire podcast. And I think that's a lot of extra work. I think uh, there's an assumption by a lot of people that that's not a lot of extra work and that's wrong. Um, does it have value? I think it does have value, but uh, you you have to weigh that. And, and I, I totally understand you uh, saying... Look, I, like I said, I like the idea of chapter marks in a big scale. I think some people envision it as being super small scale, like every podcast episode is going to have eight chapters in it. And that's kind of a lot. I would say, if I'm going to be a diabolical podcast entrepreneur for a moment, uh, that uh, there is an opportunity for crowdsourcing here <laughs> and that maybe somebody should create some sort of a tool that lets you create annotations on the podcast you listen to that the podcast owner could then publish in the show notes. Yeah, see, you'd Maybe have listeners... to put it back to us because all it's going to be is just people saying this is where the ad stops. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that, <laughs> I know? mean, that's in a po- in a podcast app that that you know whatever. But I'm I'm saying it would be great if you know maybe we should have some you know a form or a wiki or something where people can people can put in the time code or maybe somebody. I, I I'd also say you know maybe maybe this is something. For volunteers, I'm not. I'm not asking it for relay. I'm just saying, you know, if somebody really wanted to volunteer to do time detailed time code notes for a show that they love, and they talked to the podcaster of that show, and they said, "Sure, you know, uh, you you listen on day one and email me the time codes, and I'll put them in." Um, you know, then that would be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. But it it is a lot of work, and a lot of podcasts are done with. Uh, You know, it's already a lot of work and they're trying to shave time off of what they're doing. And this just adds more on top of it. And, you know, for me, I I do I do time code when it's absolutely uh, clearly useful and I try to keep it pretty minimal. So I do time code on clockwise because it's very well defined and formatted. But that's, I I think, an exception to the rule. Anyway, I just want to in case it offended anybody. If you want to skip the ads, that is perfectly fine. Sure, um, sure, but making it, putting in extra time in your work schedule to make it really easy to skip right over the ads without thinking go. about it that is, is probably counterproductive, a, isn't it? It is a bad trade-off, right? <laughs> I mean, having Marco, this is why Marco, you know, Marco could very easily do an auto ad sensing thing based on user behavior, and he doesn't do it in Overcast. But there's a thirty-second skip button, I and mean, what do you think that's for? But the idea is. If you really don't want to listen, of course you can you can jump ahead. But to make it something that uh, eliminates all ads for everybody is incredibly counterproductive because that's how these shows survive. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's how Mike that's that's how Mike and I are are not uh, we're making more podcasts rather than uh, going back to other jobs and making fewer podcasts, which would be the other way to go. It quite literally pays yeah. my bills and put food in my yeah. stomach. So it's, yeah. you know, forgive me if it's something that I'm a little bit apprehensive of. Um, yeah, absolutely. But- and, and and it's very hard to get the math to work where uh, listener support uh, can compensate to the equivalent of what the ads are. It's just the math doesn't work for most shows to do but, that. But look, fundamentally, right, if if chapter support becomes something that really does become something then we'll look at how we work with it. Right. But, like, you know, the the fact still remains that right now there is not a solution that just that, right. that, that meets every need. Um, and until that until that comes, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not... 
I'm just I'm personally just not interested in no. in in going through the the crazy loops that I would have to go through to get it to work for a subset of people some of the time. No, the tools the tools aren't there yet, and maybe they'll be there sometime, and maybe there'll be enough momentum. the The tools to to embed it in MP3s, to have podcast apps that support that, to build. Uh, like I said, I just have been experimenting with this javascript that lets me jump in a web page that's great that will actually give me that gives me more of a motivator to do some of it because um i have issues where we talk about two different movies where i want to be able to say movie two starts here so you can jump to it but uh we're just not the work that i put in over the weekend to do the javascript time jumps for the incomparable was probably more work than will ever be gotten out of uh, you know pleasure gotten out of it by people who are using that feature but i wanted to do it because it was interesting to me so we're not there yet and i and i i understand a lot of people are really enthusiastic about this subject because they're trying to cajole people into they want to get the momentum going <laughs> and yeah. so they're trying to cajole people who aren't doing it to do it because that's that's when you start saying oh well all the relay shows have all these great sh- these uh, great time codes that aren't supported by overcast marco when are you going to support it marco goes oh well i guess that's a thing now so maybe i'll put that on my and then it all happens mm-hmm. but um you know, I think it's absolutely fair for you to say, sorry, I can't be the one to, to start this and invest that time on something that may or may not happen. That that JavaScript thing that you have, we have that, like, but I just don't use it for anything. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes back to why you hate time code, Mike, why do you hate time code so much? I just, uh, if you want to use them for <laughs> clockwise, go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I've got the... I've got the data. I guess I could. I, I, I've got the I've got the data. But people don't listen to podcasts. It, it's for shareability more than anything else. People don't listen to podcasts um, on the web anyway. But yeah. I, I do like the fact that I can tweet out a link to a very particular part of a podcast on those episodes of The Incomparable now. So it's something. Anyway, this has been really boring. We have one more bit of hashtag-esque upgrade feedback. Sorry to everybody for our little descent into chapter marks. I feel like it's just going to go on forever. You could, just, the you, could just take, you could just take it all out if you really wanted to. But anyway. Um, well, maybe I'll put a time code in for just that section. Oh, oh yes. Do that. <laughs> no, oh, do that's can't. beautiful. <laughs> Chapter mark vertical at this time code. Beautiful. Oh, I'm really, I'm really tempted to do it now. All right. Our last bit of feedback is just uh, from uh, listener App Freak. Uh, no real name there saying, can you do the mail route sponsorship like serial support for upgrade comes from mail route, mail right. Mm-hmm. Oh, mail route. <laughs> you know, I actually use mail. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I do. And then, and then I have to go, yeah. Because <laughs> it's the ding. turning away from the, yeah. So thank you, App Freak. There you go. And scene. And that's the end of hashtag ask upgrade brought to you by mail. R- right. Mail route. <laughs> mail route. <laughs> and and that, com- I think that's uh, the end of the show. Uh, it is the end of the show. The show's <laughs> over. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of upgrade. If you'd like to find us on the internet, there's a few ways you can do that. You can find Mr. Jason Snell at six colors.com. He is at J Snell on Twitter. Uh, I am at I Mike, I M Y K E. And I would very much love it. If you haven't already, if you checked out, uh, inquisitive behind the app, which is at, uh, inquisitive, no, it's a relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 27. That's a new series that I'm working on. I would very much like it if you 
listened because I think that uh, listeners of this show may enjoy it. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode of Upgrade, you want to go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 24. Uh, and thanks again to our sponsors this week, Mail, <laughs> Mail Route, Igloo, and <laughs> Smile with PDF Pen Pro 7. But most of all, thank you so much for listening, as always. And we'll be back next time. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs> <laughs>